Hello and welcome to the instalment of the Y Football Podcast with me, Michael Dryden and Eches Adoku. Today, we'll be taking a look at Leicester City, their astonishing title win, their rise towards the top of the Premier League table, and we'll discuss whether the Foxes can remain among the Premier League's elite clubs. Before we start, please follow us on Twitter at YFootball underscore and subscribe with us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast and YouTube. Uh, Eches, good evening. Yeah, good evening's different for you. We don't really record that late, but mm. um, we're recording just after the curtailment of the Premier League season. Um, I'm doing quite well. Um, Pepe was working his magic today. He managed <laughs> to get the win against... I'm actually really happy, right? Because Tottenham beating Leicester means that Arsenal aren't in Europe. And I really didn't want to be in the Europa Conference. Because <laughs> that that is just absolutely stinking. I, I just... I, I just think the Thursday, the Thursday Sunday games really affected Arsenal. I think a lot of teams do struggle compared to the Champions League setup with the Tuesday Saturday or Wednesday Saturday. Um, and yeah, that the, the yeah, Thursday Sunday is just not a vibe, not a look. So I'm actually pretty happy uh, with today's results. Apart from that, I can't complain. Um, sort oh, actually no, sort sort Ian right at pub yesterday. No way. Uh, yeah, actually, uh, Ches, uh, one of my mates, Ches, got a picture. I was uh, I was playing it cool in the corner. Bradley, not Bradley, Sean Wright Phillips is there as well, actually. Oh, nice. Yeah, it was, uh, the, it was one of their son's birthdays, so the whole gang was there. There's no sign of Bradley, though, unfortunately. <laughs> oh, the, ML, the absolute MLS hero that is Bradley Wright Phillips. <laughs> Isn't that all-time goal scorer? Yeah, New York Red Bull champion, mate. Um, <laughs> uh, anyway, Dryden, how are you doing? Uh, yeah, not well. I mean, we suddenly got beat yesterday in the in the playoff semi-final, second leg. Well, we won the game, but we lost on aggregate over two legs. So, uh, yeah, we're going to be in League One for a fourth season now, <laughs> which is mad. And we got yeah. relegated from the Premier League in 2017. And so, yeah, fourth season. Um, yeah, That's, good. Just, That's good maths, it's though, mate. It's, it's good. Yeah, beaten by Lincoln City, man. Like, when we were in the Premier League, I think Lincoln City were non-league. Ah, <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> I don't know as a fact, but they did rise from non-league football for a, a, like a very short period um, to League One. I mean, if they go up, that's great for them, to be fair. They're well-managed, well-run club, but it looks like Blackpool probably take it. And Blackpool have we've <laughs> one of our players, Elliot Embleton, who used to play at England under 20 football, but for some reason, when he plays for us, isn't that, isn't that good. He's on loan to Blackpool, so... And he scored in the playoff second leg for them. <laughs> oh, really? Semi-final. So it's just us all over to be loaning out players. Like Sebastian Quartes that we mentioned a million times before. Um, <laughs> on loan to sport in Lisbon that time. Uh, it's just classic Sunderland to have a player on loan at a promotion rival. <laughs> and then they're in the final. And we'll see what he does in the final. But um, yeah, which is shocking, man. Yeah, let's, let's draw a line under the sand there. <laughs> call, it, call it a day. <laughs> uh, on a slightly happier tone, obviously, doing the topic today on Leicester City's rise. Unfortunately, they didn't make the Champions League football, which was a shame, mm. but obviously it's been a fantastic season for them. And it, kind of why I wanted to do the topic was, you know, in May 2016, um, Leicester won the Premier League by 10 points as well. I didn't know <laughs> the gap was 10 points. What mm. were Arsenal doing? We're 10 points off the pace. Anyway, yeah, that was won- Arsenal's year as well. That yeah, could have been. Was, that yeah, could have been the year. yeah, I've heard that too many times before as well. <laughs> but, um, yeah, Leicester picked up the title that year, but you know, we saw the likes of Nagolo Kante and Riyad Mahrez. You know, mm. they were unleashed to the Premier League, showing their fantastic ability. You know, you know, Leicester staff were put in the spotlight as well. You know, Steve Walsh was head of football there. He moved on to Everton. Ben Napper, an analyst, joined Arsenal. And mm. head of technical scouting, Rob McKenzie, joined Spurs. You know, that summer, players like Drinkwater moved on and Kante. And it really felt yep. like that campaign was a miracle. It would never happen again. And, you know, Leicester would just slowly 
drift back down to like yeah. mid table slash fighting for relegation. Um, you know, Ranieri was relieved of his duties and in came Craig Shakespeare and you thought, and then after that, uh, Claude, <laughs> Claude, Claude Puel. And you kind of felt like, yeah, you know, the way they were performing, it was, yeah, that, that was a one-off. It's not really going to happen. I mean, Puel did help them finish ninth one year. Um, and then he was replaced in February 2019 with the club in 12th, which even then you're thinking, yeah, it's not too bad, really. Um, but then what's happened since then? is Brendan Rodgers has come in. They had a really good end to the campaign. I remember they absolutely spanked Arsenal. I think it was 3-0. <laughs> I remember watching the game. So he'd just come in. I think it was his second game. Mm. And yeah, we, we got <laughs> we got absolutely battered. Um, so fair play to him then. But what Brendan Rodgers has done in that time, not just at the end of that season and in the two since, is he's really turned Leicester into Champions League candidates to, for yep. the top four spots. You know, mm. they've, they've missed up. Uh, again today by a point or goal difference wherever it was they missed out last year by a similar margin they've won the FA Cup and now with a selection of a fine group of players that they have and a really good academy and a really good manager I kind of want to talk about where did Leicester go on from here right it's kind of how mm. Tottenham started under Pochettino where they're kind of like a top six-ish club but it was really under him where they started to really drive in regular Champions League money, regular qualification, and they really yeah. became a hallmark name. And, you know, their similarities to Brendan Rodgers, relatively young, similar sort of squad profile and being young. And out can Leicester now become top four regulars is kind of what I wanted to look into. Yeah, I mean, it's, they've only to an extent got themselves to play. I didn't see the game, um, but to an extent only got themselves to play for losing that game today. They took the lead twice uh, through two Jimmy Vardy penalties. But it'd be painful that A, they've lost that game. B, Chelsea lost their game. Mm. And then it'll be even worse. Imagine if Chelsea actually win the Champions League because that, they won't get that fifth spot. So that, yeah. <laughs> if they if they win it, and obviously it wouldn't have mattered if they'd finished fourth or, or fifth. So, um, I mean, Chelsea won't care. But uh, yeah, it's, it'd just be even more painful for Leicester, Leicester City. It's crazy to think, like going back to that, like 2015, I think Ranieri came in. It's crazy to think that, that season possibly would have been, I think he was due to be Nigel Pearson as the manager. Then there was a saga with his son abroad in Asia on the on, mm. on tour. Um, and that incident that then led to Pearson being sacked and then Ranieri coming in. So it's just crazy to think that if that saga hadn't happened, <laughs> Leicester probably wouldn't have won the league with Pearson. Uh, I mean, they could have. I mean, they they still would have had the personnel that they brought in, um, which is no fluke. And we're going to discuss that, even though I'd be very surprised if the recruitment staff believe they were getting, you know, in, in Golo Kante and Ray Mahrez, two players that are in possibly now top five, top three in the world for their positions. Um, possibly not Mahrez, but um, yeah, it's uh, it's no fluke that they that they brought in these players, but it's, <laughs> I think it's widely regarded that that, that win, that 501 title win was, um, it was astonishing and yeah, it was, was seen as a fluke, but undoubtedly the club, you know, uh, would have continued to grow given the investment in the recruitment side you mentioned and mm. uh, the club generally. So, you know, even under Pearson, had he stayed, the club likely would have had that upward trajectory. But obviously, the, the Premier League win or perhaps the Premier League win kind of fast tracked that in a sense. You know, they had Champions League football then, you know, they had all the hysteria and the, the brand benefits that have came around that. So, um, they weren't included in the Super League plans though. Uh, mm. <laughs> so, possibly need back to back seasons in the Champions League to to truly cement themselves um, among the big boys, you know, financially, especially, um, but then also just in terms of the you know, the brand, in terms of fandom and stuff like that. Because at the minute, I mean, that Super League went ahead and if it does go ahead without them, then they're going to be, you know, cast adrift. 
Yeah, very much so. I think the one big takeaway I had from what you just said was you you would not want to fight Nigel Pearson. That's what I was thinking when you were talking. <laughs> I was thinking, it's like, you know what, Dryan's making a lot of sense here, but I was just thinking <laughs> if Seemingly, I, yeah. <laughs> you, you don't you don't you just don't want to fight there are two people in the Premier League I don't want to mess with. Sam Allardyce, look he's big, but you know, you run around him. Sean Dyche and Nigel Pearson, no chance. What you'd fight Steve Bruce? Steve Bruce is on the way down, he's old, mate. You don't want yeah. to be fighting Sean Dyche. Nigel Pearson's got energy. He's bouncing, but you don't want to be fighting. <laughs> Nigel Pearson will knock on your door, ready, bare knuckle fight, 6 p.m., 7 a.m., 2 a.m., 3 a.m. Anytime you want, he'll be there. Sean Dyche is, Sean Dyche is crazy. He'll be there with like barbed wire on the bat. You don't, want to, <laughs> you don't want to fight those two. Steve Bruce, Sam Allardyce, yeah. yeah come on. You wouldn't want to go toe-to-toe with them. But I mean, yeah, but there'd be no shame of losing to those, those men. But if you, I wouldn't want to fight Rodgers and I wouldn't want to fight Scott Parker because... You don't want to lose, you know, there's no, it's a, it's a lose-lose situation. I mean, have you seen how short Rogers is? If you beat Rogers, <laughs> you're just like guy that's beat up some short, some short bloke. If you get beat, then you're like guy who's been beaten up by Brendan Rogers and a very short guy. <laughs> Not that short people can't be hard, but <laughs> it's a lose-lose. Yeah, lose, there's, some, there's some angry fans listening, <laughs> ready to come for you, Rogers. That's a good point. I'm going to, I'm going to sit on that one and think about it. Kind of moving on, moving on to Rogers. One of the main reasons why Leicester's rise has been, you know, so astronomical has been the inclusion of um, Brendan Rogers. You know, when he, so people said, oh, it was an obvious choice that Brendan Rodgers came in. But actually, at, at the time when he came in, you know, there were question marks about his career, right? You know, he did really well as a Chelsea youth coach and at Swansea. And he had a, an interesting Liverpool spot. I remember when they scored yeah. over 100 goals, but then they conceded like 59, which is actually quite a lot to concede in the campaign <laughs> if you want to become champions. And in the end, you know, he nearly won the league, you know, when Suarez was there and Gerard as well. And when Daniel Sturridge was absolutely magical. But, you know, yeah. there were always question marks about the defence. And ultimately, in the end, he had to depart. Yeah, I've been thinking for a while since that happened. Um, I've always kind of said that he doesn't really get the credit he deserves for that Liverpool spell. I mean, he did have Suarez and Sturridge is so technically gifted or, or was so technically gifted at that time. Um, but I don't think the the side overall was, uh, you know, the personnel-wise wasn't absolutely amazing in that Liverpool side. And he, he brought in, you know, a different way of playing. He had Gerrard sitting a bit deeper, um, pushing the likes of Glenn Johnson, uh, <laughs> pushing the likes of Glenn Johnson forwards in the wing-back areas um, and playing a different brand of football. You had Sterling coming through, I believe, that time as well, who was playing behind the strikers um, in a more central area. And then you had Sturridge and Suarez um, above. So... Um, in the forward area. So I think he was, you know, he brought in a different style. He did so well. And he was so good at Swansea as well. I mean, <laughs> I remember yeah. Leon Britton and Joe Allen, man, running rings around players in the midfield. Like, it's, so in, I don't think he's got enough credit for, he got credit for his time at Swansea, but that time at Liverpool, I know there was that collapse and that is why he perhaps is getting the stick or did he get the stick that he got because of that collapse? Because once you're in that position, you're expected to maintain it. But I think, you know, I think winning the title with that side would have actually been a, a major achievement. Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I guess you kind of can look at that time and think, yeah, he didn't really get the applause he deserves. But football is very, very, very unforgiving. You can mm. you can get whacked up 10-0. And if you win the next game 7-0, everyone's just forgotten about it. You know, like, yeah, it's yeah. just one of those things. Like, you could, someone put it quite lightly, actually, with Arsenal, where Arsenal got the most points in the league since Christmas, except for City. But fans are unhappy with Arteta. If we replaced Arteta as manager and someone else had that record, 
they'd be getting applauded for it because you'd be like, oh yeah, mm. you've done really well. So it's just like a swift up is, man. You just have to yeah. take the good with the bad yeah, kind of true. thing. But ultimately, you know, as you're right, Arteta, not Arteta, sorry, Brendan Rogers, uh, <laughs> the, the hard the hard man himself, Brendan Rogers, um, <laughs> results went up to scratch and he had to leave. He went up to Celtic and, and that's kind of was like a rebuilding job for him because you know, Rangers were on the rebuild themselves and People, it's particularly in England, say so it's a really easy job to do. Obviously, they storm the title every single year, um, but managers like Ronnie Dyler and Tony Mowbray showed that managing Celtic isn't that easy um, mm. as people yeah. think it is. I think winning the league is quite straightforward, but it's the way Brendan Rodgers went about winning this league that was quite unique. You know, I know generally the quality of the managers in SBL is quite weak compared to the Prem, but, you know, he was a huge success there. You know, he instilled great football, sweeping all the trophies before him. But then they had their issue where they were about to do the treble-treble. I think they'd won two of the trophies and hadn't won the next. They had the last one coming mm-hmm. up. I think it was probably the league. And uh, Leicester came in for him, obviously, before the season ended. And Celtic fans were like, he's a traitor. Like, why would you go to <laughs> Leicester? Like, after everything we've done for you. You know, if, you know when fans get like that when, realistically, it's a game and, the manager wants to move on. You've got to accept it. <laughs> you know, sending threats, saying he's a, he's a traitor, and he's like a t- disgusting human being isn't really the way to do it. But anyway, he ended up leaving. Uh, and that's kind of what started his his reign at Leicester. You know, he did really, really well, um, as I've mentioned, across those two years. And, and, and quite a few things he changed from Claude Puel, where a lot of the players became disinterested. So the first one was he gained the support of the older players. If you remember, mm. back under Puel, Puel was trying to phase out Vardy. So he he basically stopped playing Vardy or he wasn't playing him as often. Um, and I think he felt a bit ostracised as well as people like Wes Morgan, etc. That's mm. one of the first things he tried to address and he did really well in doing that. He also helped the form of Ndidi, which I, as a Nigerian, I, I can really vouch for that because he's been fantastic <laughs> yeah. in the past two seasons by simplifying his role. He made Leicester play much quicker. And I think Overall, he laid down some really good foundations to help them really thrive as a club. But also, a massive bit is down to the sensational recruitment that Leicester City managed to do. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I feel like there's been, there's had to be a transition period at Leicester because you, you mentioned the players earlier um, that were part of that side. Um, you know, the Kante's, the Red Mares, Danny Drinkwater, these players all left. Um, and Vardy could have left. <laughs> he was linked with Arsenal, wasn't he? Mm. Um, but opted against that. So, um, there had to be a transition period because the reason it was so astonishing is because you know players like you know even like Christian Fuchs, Danny Simpson, these aren't these aren't like exceptional players. It's just that Ranieri had them playing with such belief in such a way, and they were supplemented by that quality um, that we discussed, like Kante and Co. Um, but then when Kante and Co. leave, like they did, there has to be a period of rebuilding that. I mean, Spurs kind of went through that with them um, when they lost Bale at that that big price tag and they brought in a number of players like Lamella and Cole that um, I mean Lamella's not been too bad he's been there a long time now it feels like he's been there a lifetime mm. um, but there's other players that came in that didn't really fit the bill and it's difficult because you've got to bring in a lot of different players because you've received a lot of money as well often that means that you have to spend a bit more um, of a premium like the Andy Carroll <laughs> deal to Liverpool when mm. we sold Torres to Chelsea um, but they've actually went through that and weathered that quite a lot now and now they've got to a point where they don't have the likes of Kante Mares, who, as I said before, in their positions are like top five in the world. But, um, or in my opinion, are they don't have those exceptional talents, but they have more quality throughout the side, so it's a bit more consistent. Um, and I think they've went through that transition to get there. Um, and as you said, this recruitment's been amazing, and it's had to be to because as, as innovative they are, they've had such high player play turnover since then. Even Chilwell leaving as well recently, which is kind of more recent. I'm Maguire, to be fair, more recent kind of high profile. Um, departure that perhaps wasn't 
directly after the, the title win when you can understand it more, perhaps. Um, one player I didn't mention, it's Swansea, actually, just came to my head there, was the very mercurial Michu, and he seems to have fallen off the planet. <laughs> yeah, he had, he had that one glow season and then didn't really do anything afterwards. I think as well, if you're... If there was a manuscript of how to sell a superstar and rebuild, bad example is Tottenham Hotspur when they sold Gareth Bale. <laughs> Good example is Leicester City with the countless players you could mention and before maybe Southampton a little bit as well. Tottenham, man. Some of those guys. They had Vlad, they had, they had Vlad ch- Churches. Churches, Cur- yeah. He was pants. <laughs> and so was um, Federico Fazio. Etienne Capu was okay, but they shipped him on to Watford. Uh, obviously, Ericsson was part of the gang. He was obviously a very, very good player for them. Wasn't um, Soldado was part of that? So, wasn't Soldado, yeah. <laughs> he, he had too much product in his hair. He looked abysmal. Uh, and who was the other <laughs> one as well? Lamella's been underwhelmed. He's 30 million, mate. And 30 million then. I mean, he's an okay player, but uh, 30 mil. Uh, he was kind of like the, the gem, so called, of that group. Uh, mm. he's, he's relatively been underwhelming. Like, is he a 30 million player, player now? Bear in mind that was years ago. No. So realistically, he's been okay. <laughs> I had to, I had to dig, I had to dig in there because yeah, that was an abysmal. abysmal yeah, that, way. that's what happens though. You do have to pay more of a premium when you receive that those big true. fees. True, that is um, true. Which, that is true. But I mean, it doesn't mean that the the players have to be bad. <laughs> and the players, they, <laughs> the players they bought weren't great. We'll, we'll uh, pay I mean, twenty million. Is... Absolute rubbish. Thank you very much. <laughs> and think I'll go back to meet you point as well. I've just again the name popped up my into my head. Rogers not only did he do well at Liverpool, but he actually arguably the only manager who's actually got the best out of Sturridge, and he is he's such is slash was such a gifted player. Um, he did quite well at Chelsea when he's played out, out on the right. But another player that <laughs> Rogers got the didn't seem so well get the get, get the best out of was um, Danny Graham. I remember there was a point where Danny Graham was banging in goals for Swansea, and he played <laughs> he for us last he, season. He was. was <laughs> he's thirty five year old, and he was awful. <laughs> He's from the region, that's why he's from Newcastle. But, uh, <laughs> he's just dreadful. But for Swansea, he was like, for Swansea, he was like Raul. Yeah, he was. He was. He was doing quite well. I knew there'd be a Sunderland link in there somewhere. I just couldn't, yeah, I, I, couldn't quite, I couldn't quite see it. But to, to talk about Leicester's recruitment, I think the challenge, you know, for Leicester to break into top six is really difficult. Obviously, and the best way to do it is to recruit really, really well. You know, since they're tired to win, they've sold a key player each summer. We've spoken about Nagola Kante, Riyad Mahrez. Danny Drinkwater has been absolutely abysmal since he left. Mm. Harry Maguire has also joined Man United and Ben Chilwell as well for a combined fee of £250 million. Oh, and those group of players are actually recruited for 25, which is brilliant. You know, that's a fantastic return. You know, what enables Leicester to do this, what, from my reading and research, is their philosophy. You know, they have a really long-term philosophy mm. where they look for, they don't look for expensive uh, quick fix. They look, you know, they take more of a holistic view on player recruitment and development. You know, over the big, over the years, sorry, you know, big clubs have come in for their staff. You know, I mentioned earlier those uh, members of staff that had gone on to other clubs. But if you've noticed, the ideology hasn't really changed. You know, they've got rid of mm. multiple director of footballs because they've either moved on or they've gone elsewhere and loads of analysts. But they keep signing the similar profile of players, which is, Typically signing young players, you know, um, who have long-term potential, who relatively are quite young and, you know, are from potentially uh, less similar clubs to them in terms of success. So the transition is less drastic. So team players like James Justin from Luton, you know, Carl Garciontru from Freiburg, Timothy Castagna from Atalanta, (laughs) you know, James Madison from Norwich, you know, are are really good examples of that. I mean, Mm. mixed in with that are your very high profile players who loads of big clubs are after. You know, I, I doubt City were 
you know, hunting for James Justin, but the likes of Yuri Tillman, who's been said to be a golden boy since he was 16 yeah. and 17, had loads of big clubs after him. James Madison as well, you know, Wesley Fofana, I know West Ham went for Wesley Fofana at the time. He was Saliba's partner at Ethian. So mixed in with those, you know, unearthed gems from English football or Europe are really, really high profile young players. They're also trying to join them as well because they see the opportunity. Yeah, Tillsman's been absolutely outstanding. He's gone in the FA Cup final, was an absolute rocket as well. But he's only 24. Um, he plays like a player who's got like 300 games under his belt. But as you said, he's been, he's one of them players that, I think he, he came through Anderlecht and yeah, um great. In the Belgian Super League, you can, you know, you can play uh, earlier. It's like, in, it's like with like Delete playing for and Captain Ajax, but at 17, like you get opportunities to come through really early. Um, and so he's played so many games for his age, but it's just, he's outstanding. And Soyuncu is only 24 as well. He looks about 40. And I tell you what, you wouldn't want to fight Soyuncu, would you? Absolutely no chance. Soyuncu. He has this absolute Soyuncu, yeah. He's got a yeah. steel jaw. Yeah, he looks like he's got a mean headbutt, Soyuncu. Mm, yeah, That's what he strikes me as. Big platform. Yeah. For fun, like 20 <laughs> years old. Like, they've just signed so well. And he's an excellent player as well. 20. Like, yeah. his resale value would be mad. And so will Thielman's, though. All of them, all of them. The, yeah. the, the, the list goes on. Tillman's right is twenty four. He looks about nine. Why does he look so? <laughs> he's about nine years old. He's got the yeah, face of a nine year old. Yeah. But yeah, no, you're not wrong. <laughs> I mean, we mentioned the players that they've all signed. Supporting those players has been a fantastic academy. We've got Hamza Chowdhury who plays them quite often. England are twenty one player. Luke Thomas who's played mm. at fullback this year. Who's obviously a very good. Ben Chua, who was obviously a, a big player for them. And Harvey Barnes, unfortunately, he's had injury this season, which ruled him out of the Euros. But he's been really heating up in the past two seasons. So that's yeah. that's what Leicester have. They've got the perfect mix, right? They've got some elder statesmen there. They've got some really good young players that they're signing, and also a fantastic academy, uh, which has given the players to do that. And it all points to a club, which I think happens at Leicester, where there seems to be very little interference from above. I feel like they've got a really good owner where the owner is very supportive but he doesn't really get involved you know i guess mm. chelsea do very well but roman Vamich is very involved there um and you know some of the clubs are good examples of that as well but it seems to me at leicester is very much like the recruitment teams there's a general ideology or, or a manuscript which everyone has to follow and they're all allowed to just do what they need to do by trusting them we shouldn't forget that they um they do have resources right i mean every club in the premier league does you can't get where they are without resources. So you can, you can have the best blueprint in the world. If you don't have the money in football now, you can't get there. Um, but, I mean, Leicester's model has worked uh, so well. And most other clubs, or a lot of other clubs, have a lot more kind of short-termism. Sunderland are a prime example, but I then finally get us back to Sunderland. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we used to have a, a wealthy owner uh, in Ellis Short, American owner, um, spent millions over his tenure. I think he was at the club, the club for around 10 years. Um, spent millions on the first team. But... Leicester have done and what our new owner is trying to do now these came in Louis Dreyfus is they've invested in the club first and then brought players in on the back of that so <laughs> just poured money in the first team but without that kind of smart recruitment behind it we were signing players that were quite obvious spent like 12 million 12 million on Connor Wickham or Stephen Fletcher these are players that were doing well in the football league but cost a premium because of that and then they came in and it was just you know disjointed you know so throwing money at the first team isn't actually always that beneficial. What you do, what Leicester have done, build smarter, invest in a lot more, um, a lot more intelligently in the in the background, uh, in the staff, in the recruitment side first, and then you can build rather than trying to build before or kind of run before you can walk, so, so to speak. Yeah, very much so. I think um, the best clubs always sell well. I think I saw a tweet which was um, 
how competent a club is is how much money they bring in from player sales and i couldn't agree more yeah. because it seems to me in the prem you know chelsea are very good at selling their players you know, 130 million for eden hazard one year left in his mm. contract absolutely mad they basically yeah. recouped the money for Morata when he was crap uh ramirez uh oscar went for stupid amounts of money to china they're generally very good at selling players i think the competency is when you've got clubs that don't sell very well uh you know that there are issues at the club and i think leicester are one of those teams where it's very clear that the club is well run they invest money into the club they know when to sell because you know selling players we, we're talking about rebuilding and how we're going to go into it now about how far leicester can go i think keeping a player is a very difficult balancing act because you keep the player you know he can be a really bad influence or you know you, you don't want him around but you know you also mm. have to stick to your guns about how much he's worth you know Leicester held out for 80 million for Harry Maguire because Liverpool paid 75 for uh what's his name Van Dyke. you know it's very difficult to do because you know Man United or could say oh if we just leave put the pressure on you know Maguire can make it difficult for them there but I think what they've done with a lot of these players is because they've given opportunity because they've treated them very well I think there's a very good relationship between the players and the staff and the setup so that you don't get disgruntled types of characters. You don't get Pyatt. So I remember when Pyatt wanted to leave West Ham <laughs> and he was doing all sorts, not God, turning up to yeah. training, the whole shebang, whereas I think Leicester do it quite well. There's an acceptance that they'll go, but the price is a premium and clubs pay it. 50 million for Ben Chilwell, yeah. uh, 80 for Maguire, 60 for Mares. You know, they, they, they really have done very well. And that's kind of what we're coming on to now is how far Leicester can go. And it's, it's a really difficult question to answer because the obvious point is, you yeah, don't sell your best players and you'll be fine. But, you know, naturally, mm, if yeah. Leicester are on the rise and you're, if Kelechi and Inacho goes and becomes the Premier League golden boot winner and Leicester come fourth, but City want to buy him, he's still probably going to want to move to City. And it's mm. kind of how they move from there. You know, they, they need to be a top four regular to kind of emulate that Pochettino period. Pochettino came in that period where a lot of those first place stayed together, you know, led by Harry Kane, who he arguably is and still is their star player. A very influential Deli Ali stayed when he had very hot form. Yeah. Um, Eric Dyer stayed and had very hot form. Danny Rose, I remember when Man United and Chelsea were looking at Danny Rose. They were very good. I mean, Carl Walker did leave in the middle of that as well. But generally, they yeah. kept a lot of that team together. And I think that's what Leicester kind of need to do. And I think they actually can do. I think at the moment, if you really look at the team now, I mean, there's not too many whispers about many of the players leaving. I know Sion Chu is being watched by a few clubs for a while, but I think I think they're quite set. You know, Vardy's too old to be bought by a top team now so he's still there and obviously very influential Mm. and when you go through the team there seems to be a lot of players that I think are quite settled there which is good yeah so they can obviously grow and they've got a very good youthful squad fantastic manager brilliant academy uh, who's also in in terms of Brendan Rodgers he's also very set I think it's really worth noting that when Tottenham uh, obviously sacked uh, Mourinho. He was very distant from the Tottenham rumours and he didn't really seem interested. I know that when Arsenal sacked Emery, he got a new Leicester deal. He got a new contract. And mm. I feel he even he sees it as a big project. I think obviously if Rodgers goes, it can all unravel, but he seems very set to stay. Um, so for me, I, th- I kind of feel like you know, the sky's the limit for them in terms of being top four contenders. But, you know, it's just about keeping those players and also being able to grow. I think Southampton really highlight, oh, yeah, they're really good at selling players, really good at selling players. But then a few wrong turns. I mean, like uh, Buffal and uh, Kest- not Castro, mm. what's that guy called? 
Carrillo, yeah, Guido Carrillo, who they signed. <laughs> These useless players, are, you know, because after a while, when you replace the Mane's, etc., and the Lalanas, you get to a point where you get a little bit stuck, right? And I know when Leicester won the league, <laughs> they signed some absolutely <laughs> pants players. That Adrian Silva, who didn't really settle, and Samani, who didn't settle, and Ahmed Musa. Yeah. So it, it, it highlights that if you make too many mistakes in one go, you know, it can be a detriment. So selling players is a good thing, but keeping hold of players you know are good, uh, it's probably better for long-term success. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I think the the more quality that you have within your team, the more the likely players are to um, buy into the project. So, I mean, I know <laughs> you have to get them players there in the first place, but um, if you've got a quality side, if you're someone like Yuri Tillman's looking around you and you've got quality in the team, and you've got quality manager, which they do at the moment, um, he's more likely to pen a new contract, stay with the project. Um, but I mean, they have the they have the right manager now, and they have the right model. Uh, but the com- the competition is just it's just so so fierce. Um, the best players want to play in Europe, and if they're going to be a top six team or a top four team, sorry, um, to be in the Champions League consistently, they're going to have to have that quality of player. But that quality of player wants to play in Europe, and if they can't consistently get top four because <laughs> it's so hard. I mean, if they're if we put them into that mold, it's actually top seven, isn't it? It's actually top seven teams if they are actually part of that elite. Um, and there's only four spots. I mean, Spurs, Arsenal, Liverpool and Chelsea this season um, have had poor league campaigns by their own standards. I know Liverpool and Chelsea finally made it into the top four at the expense of Leicester and Tottenham and Arsenal. But they still had poor campaigns. And it, it, if Leicester had made it in, it would have been on the back of a poor Chelsea or Liverpool uh, season had the results went right today. So it's just, even if they have a good season, there's a chance they might miss out. Um, and that, could, that applies to all of them, but obviously the, the, the better... Side, some teams like City, teams like Liverpool, clubs like Manchester United with such resources are more likely in the long run to be in that top four spot. Hmm. Um, you know, United are arguably one, they've got a good squad now, arguably one good managerial appointment away from being that kind of City or Liverpool side. They've got the resource to do so. Um, so you, as a quality player, you're more likely to join a club like that because, or even move from Leicester to one of those clubs because you're thinking, if you're Ben Chilwell, you're thinking, yeah, I'm, I'm enjoying my time at Leicester, I've got good players around me, good manager. Um, I think they've just unveiled a new training complex as well, Leicester, which looks really good. I did so this season. Um, and you're thinking, well, what, where am I more likely to play Champions League football? Where am I more likely to get in the England score? Where am I more likely to get a better yeah. contract, better wages? It's it at one of the other clubs. And so I just think unless they can consistently prove that they're going to be in the Champions League season on season, um, and then the financial benefits that come from that, and then you know the contracts attached to they can offer on the back of that, that's how, how they cement themselves. But... As we've discussed in other pods, I mean, we've got, what, seven teams that I've listed there that are all buying for top four. So it's just, it's it's just unsustainable, the Premier League, because you just haven't got enough spots to get into the, the Champions League. Yeah, that's the thing, isn't it? Is that as much as you want Leicester to become top four regulars, where's the space? <laughs> yeah. I mean, we're, we're trying to fit six into four, and there's like seven into four, and then eventually Southampton get their act together, and West Ham and Everton is like 10 into four spots, and, and you're completely right, it's getting harder and harder. Um, but but I definitely do think that these last two seasons have shown that they they are here to stay, and I think mm. if they keep this core together, which I think they'll definitely stay for another two years at least, and with the players they're managing to sign, you know they're signing good European talent, then I think yeah the, the Champions League is a real possibility for them next season. Yeah, agreed, agreed. I'll certainly be rooting for them um, in terms of the Premier League, uh, not for Arsenal. Um, but yeah, thank you, <laughs> thank you, Etches, for the. Uh... For the input today um, on Leicester City, um, very odd to be recorded on a Sunday evening, but, you know, it's a nice little change. 
Um, we'll see what happens in the Champions League final. We've got the England score getting announced on Tuesday, so a lot of things still to come up, even though the uh, Premier League campaign is now curtailed. But thank you all for listening, guys, um, and we will see you next time. Cheers, guys.